Welcome to CPAC Today in Politics. Coming up, the Indigenous Services Minister is asked if there is systemic racism within the government. We have a lot of work to do. And there is no institution in government that is immune by some magical stroke of fate from systemic racism. We are not saying that everyone uh, in society is racist. We have, uh, yes, unconscious bias, but systemic institutions that have been put in place and are creating outcomes that are unfair. The Prime Minister blames procedural and political differences for the failure to debate a bill that would mean COVID-19 benefits for people with disabilities. So that's the disappointment that despite the unity that Canadians have shown, despite businesses and individuals being there for each other, politics got in the way of actually helping Canadians. And pandemic pay wage increases at some Canadian grocery stores will come to an end this weekend. These employees will no longer be given their premium is uh, perhaps a reflection that things won't won't change as much as uh, some observers were anticipating, in some cases, political parties were hoping. It's Friday, June 12th. I'm Mark Sutcliffe. Let's get right to the top political stories this morning. I'm joined by HuffPost Canada's Ottawa Bureau Chief and the host of the follow-up podcast, Althea Raj. Good morning, Althea. Good morning, Mark. Liberal MPs and the Prime Minister are being asked about the presence of systemic racism in the police services across this country, the RCMP and elsewhere. The Prime Minister yesterday effectively contradicted what the RCMP commissioner had said the day before about this issue. Uh, What do you think will be the outcome of all of this as as it seems like everyone is being asked to choose sides in the discussion and the debate over whether racism is systemic or not? I think eventually after um, we stop talking about systemic racism, whether or not it exists, I feel like the debate on that is... Um, there won't really be much of a debate, I think, come next week. But I think the pressure will mount on Commissioner um, Lucky from the RCMP to really show that the RCMP is doing something to address, uh, whether it's called systemic racism or institutionalized racism or a few bad apples, um, that the force is taking measures to address uh, concerns that have been raised now by the Prime Minister, um, by Indigenous Services Minister Mark Miller, and by Canadians across this country that um, people of colour, Indigenous Canadians, Black Canadians, are not uh, treated the same in the eyes of law enforcement in this country as white Canadians. Um, and so I think that there there already has been a commitment, frankly, um, from Commissioner Lucky, from even the former RCMP Commissioner Bob Paulson. I remember back in 2015, he appeared before the Assembly of First Nations and said that there that he believed there were um, racists in the police force and that um, he would do something to uh, rid his ranks of them. Um, but that, you know... To compare it to, um, you know, how the military, for example, has treated women, they've come out very publicly and said this is what we uh, intend to do to address misogyny uh, in in the Canadian forces. And the fact that in reporting sexual assault, um, perhaps uh, people were, um, cases were not aired uh, and treated the way that they should have been. I, I don't think we have seen that from the police force and the RCMP has pledged during the National Inquiry on Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls 
to do something about that. And so I think that the public will look at the National Police Force for deliverable. Yeah, and I think the essential question here, I know some people are portraying this as kind of an academic discussion, but the essential question here is whether the solution is about training uh, and, and, and ensuring that uh, individ- certain individuals are, uh, who behave improperly or, or uh, have the wrong uh, mentality are drummed out of the police or, or are trained differently or something, or whether there's something wrong with the system itself that is producing these outcomes. And, and that obviously is an important question and not just an academic one. No, but the two, I think, are also related, right? I think when you see officers act in a way um, that the vast majority of the public perceives to be racist and uh, not get disciplined or not get those grievances aired, uh, there's a certain tone of tolerance that is set, which feeds into this uh, impression that there is systemic racism uh in police forces across this country. When you talk about carding, for example, and we've had... Bill Blair, who's the public safety minister now, still this week defends the practice um, of carding uh, by kind of dancing around the opportunity a reporter had given him to apologize for it. Um, I think that there, there I, I was just reading about the um, Colton Bushi case and the fact that when um, RCMP officers went to inform his mother that he had died, they came with uh, weapons drawn, you know, and she was complaining that she felt that she was being treated as a criminal when she was the victim. Um, You know, are are there things that the police force do, whether it's unconscious bias training, whether it's practices in certain communities that they don't do with regards to other communities, that they can revisit and look at and retrain officers into... um, into rejigging their policies. I think that when we talk about systemic racism, we're acknowledging that it's a system-wide problem that that needs system-wide solutions. Right. And I think that there is a tone that is being set, maybe less so by the Prime Minister, but certainly by Mark Miller on Thursday, about not, uh, not just that it exists in the police force, but that it exists even in the public service. For example, that their you know public service is incredibly white, not just federal public service, but provincial public services as well and territorial. Um, and what practices and systems exist there that don't seem to um, reflect the hiring of members of the community to you know that you're intended to serve? Yeah. All right. The prime minister accused the opposition yesterday of playing political games when it came to the passage of a bill this week to provide emergency benefits to Canadians in the coronavirus crisis. Uh, We are, I think, seeing more pushback from the opposition, certainly this week. Uh, It's it it seems like we've moved out of the the period where the government had a little bit more license because it was a crisis and back towards a more normal kind of back and forth that we would see in a minority parliament situation. Where do we go from here, do you think? Your guess is as good as mine, frankly. I I do think uh, measures for Canadians who are living with disability, the government announced last week that it was going to be giving people who received the disability tax credit, so that's actually not everybody who is on uh, provincial disability or even CPP uh, disability payments, but only those specifically who get the disability tax credit would be getting $600. 
and they lumped that into their bill um, with their new efforts uh, to um, change the CERB and to tackle fraudulent claims. And uh, to hear opposition MPs this week, you had um, the Quebecois leader uh, Blanchet say, you know, basically, like, they're putting um, codfish oil in this chocolate cake. We're willing to support the disability payments, but we're not willing to give the government a blank slate. And I think that the opposition parties are feeling a bit of criticism and feeling somewhat irrelevant, having given the Liberals basically a blank check for several months now that they need to go back to their constituencies and prove that they got something done. And um, since basically mid-April, the Conservatives have not been willing to be a dance partner with the Liberals. They've insisted that the House return uh, to work at least four days a week. Uh, Now they're insisting that it returns as a full and active parliament, um, something that the Liberals do not want to agree to. So, um, you know, they're off the map. So the only two possible dance partners really are the NDP, if the bloc agrees, um, because the NDP per se don't actually have the votes. Um, The NDP has said that they really are absolutely opposed to the idea of sending Canadians to jail um, or loving them with huge fines if they've uh, incorrectly claim the $2,000 a month CERB um, payments. Right. The block wish list seems to be a bit more doable, but it also comes with something that would be a political reversal that might be um, embarrassing for the Liberals, which is the block wants the grit to agree not to um, claim the wage subsidy. So basically the Liberal Party, along with the Conservatives and the NDP and the Greens, to be fair, everybody right. but the block, has been using the wage subsidy. And the block for weeks now in the House of Commons during the special COVID-19 committee has been hammering the Liberals hard, saying this is uh, totally inappropriate, uh, basically a, a misuse and a huge conflict of interest that you would create a, a program that gives you millions of dollars and you should pay that money back and you should not use it. So if the Liberals want to dance with the block, well, they will have to um, climb down and admit they made right. an embarrassing error. Okay, that would be uh, that would be an interesting turn of events, to say the least. Um, as we wrap up, let's talk about what's happening with some of Canada's major grocery stores. It appears as though they are ending the pandemic pay increase that was instituted, uh, in part because of some public pressure for employees who were uh, working at some risk uh, during this crisis to be serving Canadians who were coming to grocery stores to buy food. Uh, there's I'm sh- there's already been some what of a backlash against this on social media. Do you expect that? Mm-hmm. The government will be asked questions about this today. Oh, I suspect that they will, because uh, the Prime Minister has um, kind of uh, praised this as companies doing the right thing as a countrywide effort, everybody recognizing the sacrifices that essential workers, grocery store workers, who in most provinces make minimum wage, um, were making the effort to go and serve people. And um, he praised the fact that Loblaws and Metro and Sobe, um were now giving their employees $2 more um, per hour. That premium we learned this week um, in Loblaw and Metro will end on June 13th. Um, so just tomorrow, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> the 12th today. Um, and, and, you know, 
when I think about this, um, it makes me think about all the discussions that we had, that even you and I had, Mark, in April about, you know, would the pandemic and everything that is coming to the forefront, whether it's um, the services and the care given to uh, our loved ones in long-term care homes, the idea of having um, a basic minimum income for Canadians, whether these ideas, if we were going to change the way um, society functions, to address that income gap and to ensure that people are treated uh, more equally. And it seems that uh, as the CERB is wrapping up, because we know the first uh, applicants from March 15th, uh, their CERB will be ending in July. Um, Even though the pandemic hasn't ended, even though the threat, um, you know, there are fewer people dying, obviously, uh, but the virus is still circulating in the community, um, especially, you know, where I am in Ottawa, uh, that these employees will no longer be given their uh, their premium is uh, perhaps a reflection that that um, things won't won't change as much as uh, some observers were anticipating, and in yeah. some cases, political parties were hoping. All right, Althea, great to have your comments on all of this today. Thank you. Thank you very much, Mark. Stay safe. Have a good weekend. That's Althea Raj, HuffPost Canada's Ottawa bureau chief. Now, here's what political columnists and commentators are writing about today. In the Financial Post, Joe Oliver argues we should brace ourselves for brutal tax hikes. Oliver writes, Massive financial support and unconstrained spending will lead to painful tax increases. If the Prime Minister were to win a hastily called election, he would finally have to confront financial reality. Because higher corporate tax rates would stymie recovery, and because this government seems constitutionally incapable of prudent spending, He will be forced to either raise income tax on the middle class or increase the GST. In the Toronto Star, Cheyenne Sharif and Evan Fraser argue any potential COVID-19 vaccine will have limitations. They write, Would a vaccine allow us to get on with our lives? Hopefully, yes. But at least two hurdles would need to be cleared. Vaccines typically protect people from the disease, but may not prevent them from being infected by the virus. And even assuming that we develop an effective vaccine, we need to be thinking very carefully about how to deploy it. Unless we vaccinate the great majority of people in the world, nothing will go back to resembling normal. Now, here's what's coming up on Canada's political agenda. What will happen to the legislation that caused the showdown between the government and the opposition this week? CPAC's Martin Stringer has more on that. Mark, the government's original legislation contained measures to introduce penalties for people defrauding the Canada Emergency Response Benefit, or CERB, as well as measures to implement up to $600 one-time payment to help out Canadians with disabilities. Now, faced with opposition, the government agreed to split off the measures for disabled Canadians into a separate bill. But the opposition Conservatives blocked any attempt to go forward with any of the legislation. So the question now is, does the government want to have a second go at trying to pass the legislation? All it will take is a government ministry to ask the Speaker and give 48 hours notice, and there will be another special sitting of the House to debate legislation. The problem is, though, so far the Conservatives have not even agreed to get past the first step to begin debate. It takes unanimous consent these days, the way the House is operating, to debate legislation. So the question is, for the government, 
Will it try to introduce or reintroduce both bills or just the bill implementing those measures for Canadians with disabilities? That bill would certainly be more difficult, a more difficult one politically for the Conservatives to oppose. The government must decide whether it needs its other legislation to bring in punitive measures uh, for fraudsters for the Serb. Uh, is that worth the battle? The NDP is opposed to those measures, which it calls too heavy-handed, and it sounds as if the Bloc Québécois opposes them as well. So, Mark, over the next few days, we will watch to see in Parliament what the government's next move is. Is it going to try to convene another sitting of the House of Commons to debate its legislation? And what exactly of its legislation is it going to try to have a second go at? Thanks, Martin. Also today, the Prime Minister will speak with the Prime Minister of St. Kitts and Nevis before chairing the Cabinet meeting. He will then hold a news conference to give an update on the COVID-19 situation. And that's CPAC Today in Politics for Friday, June the 12th. Tune into CPAC and CPAC.ca throughout the day and weekend for coverage of the coronavirus crisis. Our podcast returns Monday morning. Have a great weekend. <laughs>